Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Write or Die show. I'm your host, Randy Lee Bosla. On the show, we interview other writers and we talk about mental health from their personal journeys. If you have not already hit that like and subscribe button, go ahead, do that now so that you never miss an episode. Hello, everybody. So today with us, as you can see, there we go, that side, um, we have Paul, and I didn't ask how to say your name, so I'm going to try. Tell me if I'm right. We have Paul Zolman with us. Perfect. Excellent. How are you today? Great. Thanks, Randy Lee. It's so, so good to be with you today. And where are you visiting us from? I'm just two hours north of Las Vegas um, in southern Utah, St. George, Utah, on the north rim of the Grand Canyon near Zions National Park. That's awesome. I got married in Vegas, oh. um, out in the, the desert with the mountains and everything. It wasn't like a drive-by. <laughs> Everybody always asked me that. They're like, oh, did you do one of those drive-by Elvis things? No, it was all totally planned and gorgeous. They have a lot of wedding chapels down in Vegas, and uh, I've, I've visited a few, but not for marriages, but just to talk to them. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about who Paul is. Well, I was raised in a, in a family that um, was abusive. I try to tr trace it back to where did it come from? And when you think about your family and you think about what habits that are passed down through the generations sometimes you don't know where how far back it goes but i can trace it so far back as as to my grandfather my grandfather started in in the middle of the united states in indiana and he had uh, in the late 1800s had um, nine children after that ninth child was born then my grand that grand uh, grandmother passed away and for whatever reason it was either of of just right after childbirth or was sickness. I don't know exactly why she passed away, but he was obviously distraught as would anybody be losing their spouse with nine children. So he decided, made, made de poor decisions in, in that bad situation. At least it looks like poor decisions to me. And I, I, I think it is, but he decided to sell his farm. He'd sell all the equipment. And when people came to the auction, he said something like, and would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? And gave all the children away. Like for real, these giveaway. For real giveaway, yeah. Except for one child. He took Benjamin with him and moved to Montana. And in Montana, found a school teacher that had never been married, had 10 more children of which my father's number six. So 19 children and- Okay, and so sorry, I just getting this all straight. So your grandfather first had the nine, but that was not including your dad. That sure. was with this other lady That's who right. had 10 children of her own. That's right. Wow. Okay, keep going. Okay, so, so moved to Montana, had these 10 children. My father's number six of the second 10 children. And so when my father is just 10 years old, this grandfather of mine passes away. My father was born in 1922. So at 10 years old, it's 1932. It's right in the middle of the Great Depression. So not, now not only do you have abandonment of 19 children, you've got a little mental, mental health issues here. 
but you've got financial, economic issues as well. And so in that time frame, my father decided that he couldn't continue going to school, went to school for a few years and graduated from eighth grade. But after eighth grade, he was done. He had to go, go to work and try to help his mother, try to help support the family. Yeah. And I think at that time, that was kind of a common theme was not finishing school back then. Okay. Yeah. So, so I might be jumping ahead. You might already have going to tell us this part, but I need to ask now. Um, those first, I guess, well, there was nine, but eight got given away. Of those first eight, did they ever find each other again? I think they did. Because I think for the genealogy that I've done and the tracing that I've done, I actually met one of those nine children. It was you know a long time ago, but I, I met them and talked to him. He said he was only four years old at the time all this was happening. And so he, didn't, he does remember how traumatic it was, how tearing apart of the family, it was just a horrible thing. And he's the one that told me that he basically gave the children away when people would come to the auction. He's the one that told me this whole story that I'm telling you right now. It was from his mouth for the and, and as he remembered it. So as I've traced it through, I can look in the 1910 census and I can see these children in different families. I can see them with a preacher. I can see them with, with just another farmer. I can see them with other, other people within the community. But a couple of preachers were, were actually kind enough to take a couple a couple of the children in. A couple of farmers took them in because he saw them as workers, I'm sure. And here's free, free labor now. And are you giving these children away? I don't have to buy them. I mean, it's not slavery, nothing like that. And it was just that was kind of what was happening at the time. So, yeah, very traumatic. So my father graduates from eighth grade. He decides he likes the mechanics, went in, became a diesel mechanic, and then uh, later on became a truck driver. So he, he gets married. I'm, I'm number 10 of 11 children. My father really tones it down from 19 ch children down to only 11. And <laughs> it's so funny. You're, you're saying 11 and I'm laughing. But yeah, in retrospect, you go from 19 to 11. So yeah. Well, this, down. Yeah, just downsizing a little bit. And 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 Randy Lee, I, I did it myself. I, I downsized from 11 only to eight. So you I still have, had eight? I have eight. <laughs> my, my, children, my children have taken it to a, a different extreme. Some don't have any children and some, the, the most, one, any one of them has is three. So that that's more in this day and age. Three seems to, I mean, I do know somebody who has six i i know i went to college with somebody who has six but yeah nowadays it's like three or less usually yeah. Yeah. so that's kind of where my family's at my children are so in this pecking order number 10 of 11 you can imagine that um, i'm i'm actually a thorn between two roses i i'm a boy between two girls they're all the rest are boys and so my, what my dad did as a truck driver, he came home, he was gone through the week and came home on Friday nights. And every single Friday, he never missed, took my mother out, for, just took her out on a date. He wasn't very creative about it. It was always the Maverick bar. It was always over alcohol. And, and you can imagine as a couple would meet after, after some distance or some partying, some time 
time away from each other that they're going to say, well, how was your week? How was your week? And I can imagine my mother starting at the oldest child. So what's happening, my Randy Lee, is that my father, all these are boys, and, and your boys are like those little puppies that they're 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 swatting each other, they're rolling, they're they're just just rambunctious, and boys will be boys. By you know, so my mother's telling about all the boys above me, all the things that they've done. Some may have broken an arm during the week, some might have done something. Something always was happening in the family. You can imagine. Something's always happening in a family of 11, 11 children. By the time he got to number 10, he'd been annoyed. He'd been annoyed, 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 annoyed. Stacking all these annoyances on top, I feel like I got the brunt of it all. So I either got the belt or I got a heavy-duty spanking at you know on Saturdays. I did not look forward to the weekends at all. It was just something that I just didn't look forward to at all. Yeah, I remember not that not that it happened to me, but I remember hearing stories on my dad's side about the wooden spoon. As you're saying, you know, the belt, so that's what I'm picturing. Oh, yeah, Nana and the wooden spoon. Yeah, well, in shop, I remember my older brothers that in shop in high school that they were actually making paddles and they drill drill not a hole through the paddle. A hole would have been fine, but they drilled just a little div, just a little dent in the wood, and they did it all over the both sides of the paddle, so that when it was spank you, it'd leave these welts on on your rear. That's what they were teaching in high school, and making. That was a project that that my brothers made in high school, and I remember them proudly bringing the paddle home and giving it to my dad. Yeah. Oh my gosh, how times have changed. They definitely would not be doing that now. <laughs> and I'm grateful for that. Very grateful for that. And it was and it's very interesting that you say that, Randy Lee, because it it really was a time that you didn't know who to call about that. You just thought that's isolated within your family. That's a family affair. You don't mention it to anybody. You just keep it kind of quiet within your own family. And now there's agencies all over the place that are really right there rushing in to try to solve solve the problem and, and rescue those kids. And it, mm -hmm. it would have been nice to have something like that at the time, but it just was not available. So I'm growing up like this, and, and uh, I, you just get tired of it after a while. I left at age 17, right after my junior year of high school, and I spent the time, my senior year, on the road. My, I moved in with my older brother. He had a couple of children, and he was just really kind, very kind to his children, and until he wasn't. And he had the same issue that he'd, he'd be annoyed, be annoyed, be annoyed, be annoyed, and then he'd flash. He'd have these flashes of anger. And I, and I realized that after I left there and, and just had my own family, that I kind of had the same issues. And I, I realized at the time that you know, at age 35 that I was still blaming my father for all the social awkwardness of getting angry in public that's very awkward. You know, even your family will, will repel and they'll kind of go, so I'm not yeah. associated with that guy. And then right. if you get angry in public, it's kind of like tearing up a piece, of, a piece of paper into tiny bits and throwing it into the wind, then try to go get every single piece of those that piece of paper. It's, right, yeah. It's absolutely impossible to try to retract all that 
ill will and that anger that you sent out there. How do you do yeah. it? Well, it's impossible. You yeah. you can't. And I love that. Like I'm actually picturing, you know, the ripping up and the throwing. Um, it's the same thing with, what was it? I saw something else. It will come to me at a random time, so never mind. Um, but there was another analogy I really liked along that same lines, but I cannot think of it right this moment. You know, whenever I want to, I can't. Um, but so much of, especially how, because this is a kind of a how you parent type of situation. So much of a how we parent and the trauma that comes from that is an intergenerational thing. And that's, you know, your story is so intergenerational. And to think, you know, what would have possessed them to give away their children? What, what kind of childhood did they have that they thought, you know, that's what, this is an acceptable thing to do. What kind of childhood was that? It's probably, you know, it probably goes back much farther than, mm -hmm. than you know. Yeah. Um, and it's very common in families when there is that kind of, um, parenting style i'll call it i guess um that it is an intergenerational thing and i've definitely talked to other people who um have been on the show where their parents had gone through like the world wars and and so and their parents went through a different war whatever and so again that mindset is so very different that the parenting style is so very different than the expectations of what parents are today um I have to admit, Randy Lee, that there were times that I wanted to give a child away, but you know, I, I did not. And there Me was, too. Yeah, just, and I only have two. All parents have that time. that they're, they're in, And you, you think back to Abraham in the Bible, that you think that, well, Isaac was probably 15. And if he's 14 or 15 years old, when he's being sacrificed, it actually really is not a sacrifice for a teenager. And we think, and, and I don't mean that too sacrilegiously, but it just seems funny that, well, you're calling that a sacrifice to get rid of a teenager that's just kind of talking back and doing all that? No, that's not a sacrifice. Anyway. I've never thought of it that way. But yeah, most parents want to get rid of their teenagers. They're yeah, yeah. pains so, in the butt. I mean, we love them, but they're pains in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, there's, okay, there's, a better, so, there's a better way. So at age 35, I realized I'm doing all this blaming. And, and, and it's, I realized I don't have to change because it's their problem. It's something that they did. But at that point, same point in time, my father had been dead for seven years at age 35. So here I am realizing that I'm blaming a guy that can't even talk back. I can't even resolve any issues with him. And then I started to say, well, I, I guess I'm responsible now. I'm responsible. And so all this anger and this this flashing and, and being annoyed, all this I, I can imagine that it was probably a, a very good cause of the demise of my first marriage. So after 23 and a half years, my wife and, and I split and I had primary custody of the children. There were five left in the house at the time. So I had primary custody of these five children. When it was her weekend for the children, I would do something different. I would I decided that I'd be going online and then I'd find someone, I'd plan a date, and then we'd have, and she was most likely in a different city. So we called it destination dating, that we'd choose a place, meet, have a date, and then go back to our homes. And I did that for about a year and a half. I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, um, Columbia, South Carolina, Atlanta, Daytona Beach, Jacksonville, Florida, 
New York City. I kind of like the fact that you got to go to all these different places. I don't know how, how any of the dates went or how the feelings were, but I really like the, that you went to all of these different places. That actually sounds like fun when you think about it that way. It was. It was like a midlife crisis that I was having a great time with it, but it was on the weekends that I did not have the children. But it came, came to a point that, um, you know, after a couple of years, a year, about a year and a half of doing that, I was done. I, I, I was just basically done with the, the destination dating. My wife had, my ex-wife had decided she wanted to have primary custody of the children. At the time, there were only, uh, um, after that time, it was only three, three left in the home. And she was going to live with her parents in California. So I, I relinquished control. I thought the grandparents, I loved, loved her parents, and they're really, really good people. I thought this is great opportunity for these th three youngest children to get to know their grand grandparents. So I relinquished primary cu custody. And so here I am, single. And, and I'm done with the destination dating. I'd moved to Phoenix, thought I had a, a line on someone that was going to work out. It didn't work out. And so my sister gives me a call in the middle of this time and says, I have a neighbor that I want to introduce to you. I said, I said, you're, you're seven hours away. I'm done with destination dating. I don't want to do that. And she said, she's an older sister. And remember, I'm number 10 of 11. Whatever older sister and brothers say, you got to do when you're number 10 of 11. And so she says, oh, come on. And I said, okay. And then I said, I'll start emailing her. And I thought, Randy, what kind of relationship can you have through email? And I was just kind of placating her and just doing that. But I had a great time emailing this person. You know, when when it came time to ask about how many times she'd been married and, and that sort of thing, and she wrote back and said, counting the five that are buried in the backyard? And it's just hilarious. She, she just had the funniest sense of humor. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> She, she just had this great sense of humor. And so, you know, te that little tease made me want to learn a little bit more about this person because I like that sense of humor. So we started getting a little closer. I started actually making the trip to where my sister lived and then eventually moved up there. And the relationship came to the point that we're a little bit serious. So now it's time for big brother approval. And when you're number 10 of 11, you have to have big brother approval. So I took her through. all the big brothers or just the select few? Just 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 the one. The one that I actually lived with, the one that oh, I moved okay. with. And he was more of a father figure anyway. So it was it was okay in that in that regard. So I, I took her 300 miles north to to visit this brother, walked in, my sister-in-law pulls her aside quickly and says, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up is anger. At first I denied it, said, uh-uh. Then it made me mad. And then I thought, huh. Oh, Shocking that it made you mad. And the only emotion that you had learned was anger. Here we go. Light bulb. Yeah. So I realized, and it is the light bulb, that I realized that if that's the, the impression or the, the perception of people about the Zolman family, I have an opportunity right here and now to change that perception. So to break the chains of that those perceptions that have been passed on through the generations, the generational break had an opportunity to do that right then and now. And so I, I thought, well, I'm going to start reading about the love and, and learn more about love. 
because I wanted to go the opposite direction. So I started reading the color code, and then I started reading the five love languages. And the five love languages really resonated with me. I'm Christian, and I thought, you know, Dr. Chapman, who who wrote the book, is the five love languages. And he wrote it in the early 90s, was published first published in 1992. But I thought that he, he said in that book that those five love languages actually reconcile to the life of Jesus Christ, something that he did in his life. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of, that'd be a good direction to go. So I started reading the book. I read the book four or five times. Randy Lee, I did not get it. From where I came from and my background, I didn't understand it. I, I, Dr. Chapman, you mean um, I, I'm supposed to guess what Randy Lee's love language is and cater to that? And you're calling that love? It doesn't sound like love. And I'm a bad guesser. That's not going to be happening. How's that? How am I going to do that? And so it just sounded too hard for in that way. So that, that didn't work for me. Then the other thing that Dr. Chapman has in his book, Randy Lee, is that, well, if I take this survey, I can find out what my love language is. Well, what do I do with that? Am I supposed to advertise? Hello, Randy Lee. I'm gifts. What do you have for me today? That is so darn awkward. That did not, and it didn't sound like love either. And I didn't, who am I to say what love was at the time? I just absolutely did not know. So I had an idea. We as a family, as dysfunctional as we were, we liked playing games. And there was a lot of smack talk and a lot of the put downs and all that that come along with playing Super games. Super competitive. A little competitive. Yeah, absolutely competitive. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we played games, and I thought that really brought the family together. So I wonder if, if I could make this a game. So I contacted Dr. Chapman and asked him, are you licensing those icons that you have for each one of the love languages, the little pictures? He, he said His attorney wrote back and said, no, we're not doing that at this time. And so I thought I still had this idea. What if I could make this a, a game? And I, so I went to an attorney, a copyright attorney here in, in my town, and he said that theory, like the love language theory, is not copyrightable. Application is. So the way the way that you present it, the way that you teach it, is actually copyrightable. Uh, well, that yeah, I actually think about it, that makes sense, right? Because it's a theory. It's like all of these different psychology theories that I learned about in school. They're all mm -hmm. theories to like science right science is supposed right. to be knowledge and shared the <laughs> so okay. with that with that information randy lee i thought here's an opportunity so i made my own little icons and then i i put them on a cube so here here i'm holding holding up here it's it's got an hourglass on a hand that hourglass designates time so time what are the love languages time i've got a guy holding a platter and that's uh, designates for service two hands put together to make a heart and then i have a conversation fly out from the heart so those are the words from the heart two hands put together touching one another that's for touch and then the, the last love language is a hand holding a gift that's gifts Five love languages, six sides on the cube. The sixth side I have has a little question mark, a hand with a question mark on it. 
That one is surprised me. So there's just two instructions. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice giving away all day that day. All day. Remember, I'm single when I create this. So. I love Sorry, sorry. I'm interrupting here. I love that. I like games. Okay. So, you know. Yeah. And I like how for even, even people who already maybe have read that book and already know their love language or, or whatever, because there's different kinds of love languages, mm -hmm. this is so neat because then you can learn how to use other ones. All of them. Absolutely. All of them. So you're very perceptive, Randy Lee, about that. And that's that's great question that over a 30-day period, you will have given away all five love languages so that you know backwards and forwards. You become what I like to call a love language linguist. Everybody, it's a sexy title. I know you want that, Randy. Everybody wants that title. So just think of that. You put that on your resume. You go to the employer. The employer's going to say, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you're going to say, I just love people. They want their customers loved, and they want a loving environment within the workplace. Most likely, your resume is going to rise to the top. So I found I, I created this when I was single. So the part of the reason that I, I decided that we've got to send this love out to everyone, I didn't have a significant other like Dr. Chapman suggests. And it's more, Dr. Chapman suggests more on a romantic basis. I thought this is this is really applicable to everyone, sending it out to everyone. The best part about it, though. That was the other thing. Sorry, I'm interrupting again. Um, <laughs> sorry, but not really. Um, that was the other thing that had popped into my head was when you were talking about you had said that you were single at the time, but then just... And, and you also said, you know, that's what you use for the whole day. Well, so if that's what you're using for the whole day, you're going to run into, um, you know, cashiers, the the barista making your coffee. If you drink coffee, um, I'm not a coffee drinker. That's why I say that. But your coworkers, mm -hmm. and then obviously, if you have a significant other or kids or whatever, but it's all those other people, strangers, you know, other people that you don't even know or just acquaintances that you meet, you mm -hmm. don't think about using a love language with them because we think of love as always being very intimate. But love is also just being caring and kind. There's mm -hmm. different kinds of love, just like there's different kinds of ways to show love. So right. I think that is like that is just very cool that it's a way to also learn to show love to other people that you don't think about love in that sense. Mm -hmm. right. It's a kindness. So it's a basic basic decency that you're we're talking about here. These are really really basic things, and and I I like to compare it to remember how I used to get angry that I was looking at other people and say what's wrong with them and and just being annoyed at things that they were doing. I realized that I have zero control over their choices and what they're doing. So there's no reason for me to be annoyed. Absolutely no reason. So realize this is my lane. I choose to love. I choose to send out love. And the best part about doing this, Randy, is that sending out the five love languages is that you can see it now when it comes your way. It may not be your primary love language or even a secondary love language, but you see, oh, I can see they're loving on me. You can respond appropriately. I absolutely adore that. Yeah, because like even in a relationship, 
each person has their own love language, right? Like, so my husband, he's like, he's a, a gift giver. He enjoys mm -hmm. giving gifts. Um, and so that's how he shows his love, which I'm okay with, especially it was my birthday yesterday. So I got lots of gifts. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, right. And so that, that's who he is. And, um, when, when our youngest was little, um, well, not like super little, he's, he's 17, well, about to be 17. So let's say like, 11 12 he went through this stage of dad only just buys stuff whereas mine is spending time you know mm -hmm. let's let's hang out let's yeah. do our nails let's watch a movie right like i let's play games together that's mine so he went through this stage of oh dad only buys stuff and i had to explain well that is how dad shows his love that is the way and i didn't say love language but that mm -hmm. is how he shows his love i show it different i'm i'm that lovey-dovey i'll say i love you like I was driving my grandson to school today and all the way to school, he'd go, Grammy, I'd say, why? I, was, I love you. And I go, Adrian, he'd go, what? I, go, I love you. Back and forth, like the whole way there, right? Because that's just what I do. So it's so interesting that, you know, people have these different languages. But if I'm rolling that dice and all of a sudden I'm getting, you know, say the gift giving one, that's so out of my realm of what I do. But now I have to try and do what my husband is so used to doing. Same if he rolled what I do. It's just it's so interesting. I like yeah. it. It works really well, too. And I found what, what happened for me, uh, Randy Lee, is that rolling the die actually took my focus away from looking at others and what they might be doing wrong, according to my own judgment. And it, and it changed the whole mindset to what's right with that person change yes. from what's wrong with that person to what's right with that person. What can I love about that person? And I was so busy watching for that, that I forgot about being critical. I forgot about going down that critical path uh, and then being annoyed at what, what might come from that critical path. And so it really changed my whole mindset, changed the whole demeanor that I actually was able within 30 day period, very short period of time. I was so surprised myself. How, yeah. how how quickly it happened that I started to focus on what's right with people. You know, a few days ago here in the United States, there was a, a guy that that had throw, had a goal to throw out the, the first pitch at 30 in 30 baseball fields around the nation okay. and major league baseball fields. And he he had achieved his goal just a couple of days ago by throwing it out for the California Angels. And when he went out there, he had no arms and just no no hands, no arms. He'd grab the football or grab the baseball with his foot and he'd throw it with his foot. And that's how he'd done it at 30 baseball fields. And it was very interesting. He said, Don't judge me on what I can't do. Judge me on what I can do. And it's just kind of the same thing that we're trying to look at the good things about people, watch for those good things, and then just just highlight those things. Sometimes people can't even see what's good about themselves. And so Yes. We are our own worst critics. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um if Anybody listening, watching right now did not watch yesterday's episode of our neurodiverse world. That was a major theme that we talked about because we were talking about um, autism, ADHD and mm -hmm. stuff. And that was a major theme is don't focus on what we can't do. 
focus on our strengths. Yes, obviously our weaknesses we would like to build up, just like with this love language day, right? You can build up the weakness of which love language, but it's focusing on the strengths. So if you did not check out that episode, go back, watch that episode too. Watch all of them, actually, every single one. Um, but yeah, okay, so keep going. So just in that, I, I like to compare it to a magnifying glass. Anything you put under a magnifying glass is going to be larger. So if we're focusing on the faults of other people, they're going to grow larger. Think of back when you're raising your children. They make a mistake, and if you focus on that too much, guess what? That mistake, they're going to keep doing it, and it's going to grow bigger and bigger. We really don't want that, but we un almost subconsciously, unconsciously do that and focus yeah. on, on the negative. The media teaches us to focus on the negative. This is a really kind of a new thing that we've got to do is just focus on the positive and send out positive vibes. If we focus and magnify the positive, that's going to grow. That's really what we want to do. You know, I, I want to uh, just bring it back, you know, in as far as the languages go, the anger has its own language. It has its own vocabulary. It has its own sense of humor, has its own culture. So yes. does love. Love has its own languages, the soft humor. It's not the biting humor that anger has. It's not the put downs that anger has. Just soft and you don't feel bad when somebody makes a joke. It's not, you're not the butt of the joke. You don't want to ever be in that position. Love isn't like that. It'll send out the, the kindness that way. There's a language in Northern India called the Sanskrit dialect. In the Sanskrit dialect, we get three very common words from them. And we get nirvana, yep. we get karma, and we get the word namaste. Now, namaste is what, what the yoga teacher says at the end of the class, puts the hands together with the thumb to the chest, bows her head, closes her eyes, and says namaste. Doesn't mean y'all, hey, y'all, class is over. Doesn't mean that, but it's always at the end of the class. What it really means in the Hindu interpretation of namaste is the God in me sees the God in you. I've heard or, it interpreted as the light in me sees the light in you. Right. Or the divine in me sees the divine in you. Exactly. And so that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. Trying to look at the light that everybody has. Everybody has it. Everybody has darkness too. Whoever said, turn off the dark. Yeah. You say, turn on the light and, and focus Turn on that light. Focus on the light that other people have. Yeah, I like that. I've never, you know, I've never actually thought about it. Turn off the dark. You know, I've never thought about the fact that we don't say that. Huh, I love that. Okay, so I'm very curious again. So um, this lady that your sister introduced you to, did your brother say yes, okay? Uh, like, where did that go? Because the last we heard was your sister-in-law saying that, uh, but the only love language you guys knew was anger. Well, and it still was at that at that particular time. We ended up getting married, but I did not make the transition quickly enough for it to actually turn into a, a good situation. So after four or five years, we actually divorced, and I'm okay. remarried remarried now, and it's it's going a, a whole lot better now. Now that I've been, I've been I've had the die since 2017. Had the copyright for that. The book actually is, is brand new, and and then the journal's brand brand new this year. 
both published. Oh, very cool. So the die's been around for a while. So you know it works. And then you kind of added the other aspects to it. Right. Oh, okay, very cool. And so how long have you been married now? Now I'm just being nosy. We just um, celebrated our sixth anniversary. That's awesome. Thank you. So clearly your, so I always ask people, you know, what's your coping strategy and you can share any other ones, but clearly the love die that you and learning about love languages and, and figuring out how to practice different ones has been a major coping strategy to help um, overcome this, uh, this intergenerational trauma of abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. And focusing on, on the good that other people are doing. I realized that a lot of the anger was focusing on the bad things and focusing on what what the children did wrong. And it was just every parent for several generations start, was focusing on what the children did wrong. And, yeah. and then those children get that same attitude. Well, we're fo supposed to focus on what people are doing wrong. And that's yeah. just passed down. So the change, the huge paradigm shift is 180 that now we're focusing on what they're doing right. As we focus on what they do right, then you, there's there's a lot more happiness there. Uh, I mean, people people will it's like a magnet that you're going to start attracting people. Yes, they want to listen to what you have to say about what they're doing right, and they What's they want that, um, you attract more more bees with honey or something. Uh, or yeah, the, like there's that. some yeah. saying, yeah, yeah, a little sugar. Yeah. I didn't make it up and I'm not saying it right, but it's something like that. <laughs> Somebody throw, throw it in the comments when you watch and figure out what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know exactly what you're trying to say. You know, Randy, the best um, analogy I found was that the other day I was walking and I found a stick in my neighborhood. The stick didn't have any bark on it at all, but one yeah. side of the stick is very smooth. It's about three and a half feet tall. So it's, so it's a perfect walking stick. And when you, but when you look at the other side of the stick, it's got these little knots on it, the little sharp spots on it. And it's just, it's, it's, this is what I call the naughty side of the stick. And this is the nice side of the stick. It's, yep. And you know, Santa Claus has a stick like that. You probably didn't know that that's how he keeps his list. He's, he's an old guy and he has these scrolls and they call the scrolls and all the paper between them sticks. And so, what I found when I when my sister-in-law pointed out where I was, it was more of a self-actualizing moment that yes. that anger really was on that naughty side of the stick. And, and there are three, three choices I had at that time. I could stay there, stay the, in the same spot. I continued to blame other people for my problems. I wouldn't yeah. have to change, wouldn't have to do anything. I could become worse, become more angry, or I could go the other direction and become more loving. And it just that thought of, of being becoming more loving, learning the love languages was something that became an obsession. I had to do it. But I started out saying, I don't want to be angry. And it's kind of a, yeah. very, a very negative statement. And those double that double negative there is is only works in math. You yeah. multiply two negative numbers together, you get a positive number. It doesn't work in relationships. Just absolutely won't work to to try to send out negative and hope for a positive result. Yeah, yeah. So understanding the spectrum and understanding where you are really was very helpful and facilitated my transition from being angry to being a lot more loving. Consider the word sarcasm, naughty or the nice side of the stick. 
Yeah. Most yeah. of them, it's on the naughty side of the stick. Yeah. Yeah, can... we're sarcastic to kind of rub it in to somebody's face. Exactly. And it's not a nice, it's not really a nice thing when you consider the opposite, like authentic or genuine, or something different than sarcastic. I was at a conference once and somebody was talking about self-esteem and, and whatever. Um, and she had presented this a bunch of research. Don't ask me to quote the research at the moment, <laughs> but she presented a bunch of research where it was showing how our brains when we're when we're trying to tell our brain something because we want to change something, it does not understand the word not or don't. Like I mm -hmm. don't want to be angry. It doesn't understand don't. So your brain is going, I want to be angry. Right. Instead. Right. And that when when she said that, it always stuck with me because it's the same when we're setting a goal, right? You don't want to I'm saying you don't right there. You you want to make it a positive thing right so it's it's the same with our brains you mm -hmm. instead of saying i don't want to be angry i want to be happy i want to be cheerful whatever word you want to use so anyway just the determination to become more loving every day is it's so simple how it takes less than two seconds to roll the die everybody that i know randy wants to have put a little bit in for an investment and have a huge return this, yes. is, this is one of those things that you can actually do that for for two seconds that it takes to roll the die sets the theme or the the purpose for the day and you go intent intentionally go about sending forth that purpose loving all day long oh i really i really love that <laughs> um okay awesome and um oof, that was that was just a lot in my head um so where um, where do people follow you, get their hands on this die? Tell, tell us a little bit more about that side of it. So they, they can get their hands on the die by ordering it from my website. It's rolloflove.com. And I, it's kind of a play on words. R-O-L-L -L is what you do outside. You roll the die outside of you. R-O-L-E actually changes you within. And so... so tricky, tricky, I love that. <laughs> R-O-L-E of love.com. That's how it came up with the name, rolloflove.com. And then they can also find the, the book if they're listening to this podcast and they like listening to books and that's their, their mode of, of learning, they can find the Audible version of, of the book on, I love Audible. on, on Amazon. So Amazon, uh, when you go to Amazon, you don't want to type in Roll of Love because you're going to get love a million things. Um, and it's going to be a needle in the haystack. Just type in my name, Paul Zolman. It'll bring it right up. You'll come to the point where you find the journal and the book there. Um, you The dice is not on um, on Amazon. You have to order the die through my website. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, and where do people follow you? I'm on Instagram. It's Roll of Love Dice on, on Instagram and on Facebook. Excellent. Easy peasy. I like, I like when things are easy like that. Total side note here, everyone. Complete side note here. Just a funny story to share um, because it was my birthday. So I have to share. On the weekend, we, I went on a quest, on a birthday quest, and to, I won't give you the whole details, but the end of the birthday quest um, ended up with me having to open up a hay bale uh, or haystack as the, uh, 
quote we'll say, and find my present inside of it. Well, I never understood why needle in a haystack was such a difficult thing to find. There is so much hay. And it was just like a little bale, guys. Like it was just tiny. And there was, it took me probably a good at least 15 minutes to find what I was looking for because there's so much hay. So finding a needle in a haystack, I totally understand what it, why it's such a tricky thing now. And I just, I wanted everybody else to know that too. <laughs> so. Um, do you have any any last words or anything to share before we say goodbye? Yeah, there's just one other thing. Um, I'm taking testing this actually in the school system, and in the school system, what they're what the teachers are doing, they're just rolling the die at the beginning of the day, two seconds to do that, and may maybe taking thirty to forty five seconds to explain class. This is the kind of um, activity, kind of love loving that we're looking for the opportunities that we're looking for today at the end of the day i've talked to several teachers uh, across the world and at the end of the day the last 10 to 15 minutes is really non-productive time yeah you know, the, the kids are anxious they've been there all day they're they're tired of learning their brains are mush all that is going on right now at, at the end of the day so at the end of the day what i've suggested is that they they take make this is a journal page that they write what they rolled that day what opportunities that they saw to love in that way then what they did about the opportunities in a journal page so so i'm testing it in k through six right now so just imagine this randy that this first grader is writing about what the opportunities love they saw that day and then what they did about those opportunities the teachers just doing a check mark on the page, sending that home with the child. After doing that for the whole school year, guess what you've got? You've got a love journal of that first grader. I, I remember my first grade teacher named Mrs. Rogers, and I remember her name only because I, I must associate that with really genuine love or kindness that she had in that classroom. I couldn't tell you my, this, my second grade teacher's name or my third grade teacher, but I remember yeah. that first grade teacher. And, and because of that, I wish that I would have had a love journal in that from that time frame. What did I love about that class? What was there in that class that, that created that situation? I think that what, by doing this, what we're doing, Randy, is that instead of having to wait until 35 years old to take responsibility like I had to, yes. these children are now taking responsibility for their own actions within the school room. Well, and what popped into my head, too, based on your story and everything, was some of these kids won't ever see love at home. Right. And so they won't learn about it. And it, having a really good teacher, like you said, you remember your first grade, mm -hmm. but not the other ones. Having a really good teacher makes a world of difference. Absolutely. So if something like this could be implemented in the schools, then not only are the teachers being able to teach something that you know, a lot of us as adults have to learn, right. <laughs> but that maybe they don't even have at home. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think it's going to, it's going to tamp down a lot of the misbehaving that's going on in the schools, because if they realize that they're responsible for their own behavior, have to report on that behavior at the end of the day, it's going to just help the classroom go a lot better. The, it's the, 
classroom time is going to be a whole lot more productive. And think, mm-hmm. think in a workplace, how if you ha- have a loving workplace, you're not having to deal with all all these uh, political things going on with within the workplace, and it's very makes it a whole lot more productive. People don't quit work; they quit bad management. Right. Exactly. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. that's one of one of my favorite quotes, and it's it's a hundred percent true. Is when you do not have good management or good team around you, then you can love your job to the moon and back, but you're still gonna end up quitting because it's still gonna eat away at your soul every single day if you have to go in and work with horrible people. Just like so, my part time job, I go in, and we get some really nasty customers calling sometimes to complain mm-hmm. not not too often but when when there is a complaint they're just oh they just like to jab it in there um but when we get off the phone all the girls in the office are amazing they you know they want to take the time make sure that you can vent it out whatever make some jokes and that's what makes the job awesome mm-hmm. Nice. It's, I just I just work in an office. Psst, whatever, an office is an office. It's the people that make it special. Absolutely. And this role of love, this love language, all of that, that is what makes life so special is the people mm-hmm. around you and making everyone feel like they are loved. And I know saying that can make some people uncomfortable, like you're talking about teaching love language in school, but I said it before. It is a type of kindness that we are giving. So if the word love makes you uncomfortable right now, you need to work on that. Then use the word kindness. You are learning to give different versions of kindness to people. Yeah, I like that a lot. You you can use that if you need to to promote it anywhere. Thank you, Randy. I'll borrow (laughs) that from you. I appreciate the permission. Yes. Thank you. So thank you so much for being on the show. I, I really liked this conversation. I mean, I love most of my conversations on this show, but I just feel like there was, we haven't talked about this specific topic. This, like we've talked about trauma. We've pa- talked about mm-hmm. passed down intergenerational, but the love language side of things, this is, this is the first time we've talked about it on the show. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing and love that diet. I like that you had it handy to show us. So if you are listening on the podcast and you want to actually see what the dye looks like, you got to jump on YouTube, check it out. I mean, if you've already listened, you can skip forward if you want to, to just where he's t- showing the dye, but he does actually show us all the sides of it, which is super cool to actually see so that you know kind of what it is that you're going to be getting into when you go and get it off of his website. Thank you, Randy. Been a delight to be with you. As always, thank you so much for the amazing guests that we have on the show. Um, Be sure to check out their links down in the description below. If you want to support the channel, go ahead and check out our merch store. We've got some very cool things on there. That's my favorite. Sorry, I'm busy ending the stigma. Um, But there's some other very cool designs. 10% of the proceeds always goes back to the Canadian Mental Health Association. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at RB Media because we have some great new shows coming up. And you never want to miss any of those episodes. And remember, the only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly. Bye!